Deezer Originals. This is Defending in Numbers. Oh, it's a transfer deadline day hangover on Defending in Numbers, the podcast where we walk down the corridor of uncertainty, pretending to know a little bit more about football than we actually do. My name is Rob Armstrong and I stayed up very, very late in the evening waiting for something other than Jordan Huggill to happen. But today, to console me, I'm sure, with lots of great stats about the big man himself, it's Ali Maxwell. Ali, how are you? Very well. Good morning to you, Rob. Are you happy with Giroud? You're a Chelsea man yourself. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy with Giroud as a, as a signing. I think that he will be a good addition to the squad and, and that's what Chelsea had done this window. Uh, Conte probably still not happy, but uh, I think it represents a, a good deal for us. Morata and Giroud standing next to each other. That is a heartbreaker of a front line. Uh, we are also joined today by a debutante. Alex, how are you doing? I'm all right. How are you? Yeah, yeah. like I say, weary. Weary. Weary, but you're a Southampton fan, of course. How, how are you feeling? I Equally we, weary. Yeah, numbed to the bone by one goal per game and uh, <laughs> a lack of excitement that I, I, I just can't get my head around, really. Well... For people echoing Alex Stewart's lack of excitement that he can't get his head around, fill your lives with some more excitement by listening, of course, to Defending in Numbers on Deezer, where you can also find lots more great podcasts, live Premier League commentary and football playlists. You can download the app or go to www.deezer.com on your parents' laptop, desktop. We've all got laptops because we're all millennials, aren't we, Ali? Yeah, I know I am. Who notoriously can't do anything. Millennial and, and proud. Yeah, Shout out to all the millennials out there. Let's get into the week by numbers. The week by numbers. Okay, let's get on to the big transfer deal from yesterday. And that's the old triangle, the, the Bermuda triangle of transfers in a way that it's completely not at all. Uh, and the number 265, which is the combined number of goals scored by Aubameyang, Giroud and Bacciari for their previous respective clubs. It's 141 for Dortmund for Aubameyang, 105 for Arsenal from Giroud and just a measly 19 from Batshuayi. Uh, as our resident Chelsea man, I think maybe you want to kick us off Ali, because you've got the Giroud now and you had the Batshuayi before, but now they're gone. Yeah, it, it's, it could be a Bermuda Triangle. One of them probably will go missing at some point. Um, I think everyone can be fairly content sitting here on, on the morning after the transfer window closed. Uh, or two mornings later if they're listening uh, on Friday, which they will be. I think everyone can be fairly happy sitting here soon after the transfer window is closed um you know arsenal have got themselves inarguably one of the best pure number nines in world football and i don't think there's a, a huge amount of world class number nines the next question is whether they'll be creating obamyang the, the type of chances that he's used to in dortmund and arguably arsenal's style um does lend itself to that, but that remains to be seen. How will they fit him and Lacazette together? It's a, it's a good problem to have. Ozil, Lacazette um, and uh, and Aubameyang and Mkhitaryan. You know, th- those are four eye-catching players to have in, in, in your attacking arsenal. But at the back is the issue, of course, and, and it remains to be seen whether this side will be in any way balanced. I think that for Chelsea, Giroud constitutes, um, in the short term, an upgrade on Batshuayi as backup to Alvaro Morata. Having said that, if Morata's poor form continues, you know, I'm expecting good things from Giroud and I wouldn't be 
shocked if by the end of the season he's playing a lot more than Batshuayi was playing and, get, and getting a lot more chances because I think he's a smarter player. I think he'll link well with with Hazard. We've seen his link-up play be, be pretty strong in the past for Arsenal. And, of course, he does offer a, a pretty underrated goal threat, I think, especially off the bench in the last two years for Arsenal. Um, and and Batshuayi... He needs game time. There's no secret. Um, he'll probably get it at Dortmund with with, uh, with the with them missing Aubameyang. And again, he, he is a, a pure goal scorer, but offered so little um, outside of that for Chelsea. And for some reason, Conte just didn't fancy him at all. So at this good stage, tweets though, good tweets, great tweets, great tweets. That <coughs> I can't and, say and he didn't offer anything. You know, that's a big part of it these days. He offered no, engagement um, and content. <laughs> I think. I think in in reflection, and I'm sitting on the fence as usual. I think everyone at this stage will be very happy. We'll have to wait and see a, f- a few months and see how it's uh, how it's turned out. Alex Stewart, who got the best deal out of those three? Uh, I'd say Arsenal, certainly. Um, I, I think, like Ali said, you know, pure goal scorers are a premium, um, and Aubameyang is exactly the sort of quick, predatory striker that. That should, you know, in, in since he made his debut in the Bundesliga, only Lewandowski scored more, and Lewandowski is arguably one of the best number nines in world football and has been for for a number of years. I think what's interesting as well is obviously relinking with Mkhitaryan um, in the 2015-16 season when they played together at Dortmund. Aubameyang got 25 goals, Mkhitaryan got 11. Uh, 15 assists, which was the highest in the Bundesliga, and they assisted each other three times. So if those two can rediscover that synergy, then Arsenal, I think, are are really on something. Exactly like Ali said, the question for them is going to be, how do we fit all of these players in together? Maybe a sort of Brazil 82 magic square type thing. (laughs) I mean, can you imagine, like, Aubameyang, Lacazette, with Ozil and Mkhitaryan playing behind them, and then width coming from the fullbacks in a four-man defence. That, that, that would be that could be scintillating. Mm, mm. I can't believe Danny Welbeck's not in the Magic Square. <laughs> no, no. He, I think he'd. I think I he'd be think he a is. bit confused being on the on the pitch with that lot. Poor, poor Danny. Yeah, it's interesting. They've they've gone really big Arsenal on the <coughs> the Aubameyang Mkhitaryan being back together. Uh, whether that's um, whether they've been pushed to to sort of say that, but it was one of the first things Aubameyang sa- said in his first interview. You know. Thrilled to be back with Mickey. Uh, obviously, Mkhitaryan was part of the uh, the announcement with his funny little clip. So um, it'd be really exciting for the Premier League if those two can click, and it would be fantastic for Arsenal fans who um, who need a, a bit of uh, a bit of levity after a, a tough half decade when it comes mm. to losing their best players. <laughs> yeah, well, it was the uh, Mkhitaryan clip? I haven't seen the announcement thing yet. Was it the same as everyone thought a week ago, where they thought they saw Mkhitaryan saying? come to Arsenal or whatever it was. Yeah, exactly. I, I think it's... Lip um, readers are too good these yeah. days. It's mental. No wonder everyone's covering their mouth all the time. Yeah, I, I completely agree. No, it, it was uh, it was interesting. I think that, um, yeah, it's... Uh, for for Batshuayi, he's got something to prove and I think he's in the right place to do it. So, you know, we, we'll probably be be seeing more of, of Giroud and, and Aubameyang here in the UK. But, but for Batshuayi, he's still young, still got, you know, bags of goals left in him in his career and Dortmund's a, a very good place to be for that. I think one thing I'd say on on the Giroud thing is that he was definitively a plan B for Arsenal but as you said the very effective plan B and I, I just wonder whether Arsenal now are slightly missing that 
yeah, I'm not saying Lacazette and, and Aubameyang are two peas in a pod, but there isn't that kind of big physical striker that can work in quite the same way off the bench. Whereas Chelsea have brought in a striker who's not enormously dissimilar to what they have already. So it's like Arsenal now only have a plan A and mm. Chelsea only have a plan A. And it'll be quite interesting to see how, how that pans out. And yeah. My, my last thing on this, which, which amused me, was... Uh, was that Arsenal used a clip. They said, this is what our new signing can do. And they used a clip of Aubameyang scoring an amazing free kick from about 30 yards uh, in mm. Dortmund colours. I think it was the only goal he scored from outside the box yes. out of however many he scored, which was close to 100 in Dortmund colours. The only one that he scored from outside the box, the most misrepresentative um, yeah. social media clip they could possibly have used, but you know, a bit more flashy than a, than a, a tap-in from a cutback and six yards out. He's the Chicharito of Gabon. <laughs> Uh, on that note, let's go on to the next number, which is 33.99%, uh, which is, you know, for most of us, 34%. Uh, that's a proportion of Premier League goals Riyad Mahrez has contributed to Leicester since the 2015-2016 season, which is an awful lot for one man. Uh, 31 goals, 21 assists, which makes 52 of the 153 goals. Uh, the Basically, deadline day, bid comes in from Man City. Or the day before, in fact, wasn't it? And that rumbled on until about five or six. And then Leicester put the price up to something crazy, wasn't it? Was it 95 million? 95 million. 95 million yeah. quid. In this market, is he worth that? I think we can probably say probably not. But he is a very good player. And would he have fit in at that City team? Or would he have sort of looked massively outclassed the minute Sané came back? I think I think anyone can fit into that city team under Pep's direction. I, I think, to my mind, the odd thing about that deal was that something Pep's shown throughout the course of this season his his ability to get players to play in positions that they're not necessarily that familiar with. And so, with someone like Zinchenko uh, already at City and good attacking players like Diaz, I know Foden's injured at the moment, but he'll be coming back. I think City have got the ability to adapt and get players to play out of position rather than spending an extraordinary amount of money on someone who, yes, is a very, very good player, arguably one of the two or three best outside the top six. But I, as a stopgap, because I think Sane would come back into that side once he was fit, it, it does seem overpriced. Um, it's interesting that in, you know, City have spent a huge amount of money, but... Laporte is still their biggest signing financially, mm. and that's that's fifty seven million. So they've spent a lot because they've acquired a large number of players. They're still resistant to splurging big bucks on one off purchases, um, and I, I think they've probably made the right decision here. Yeah, I couldn't agree more about Mares. I don't think that on a larger scale, this will be a, a huge issue for Man City. Having missed out on him, of course, would have been, as Alex said, a fantastic stopgap. But long term, uh, you know, let's talk about next season or the season after, which if you're buying someone for that much money is is what you've got to be thinking of. I find it hard to see him as a, as a starter for a Man City team going forward um, outside of this couple of months. And therefore, 
you know, save the money for someone in the summer where, where transfer fees are, you can probably get slightly better value. Um, although Man City, as a very, very rich club, will, will always struggle to find the best value. Um, and, and a few more minutes for Zinchenko, who, poor bloke's been, been doing the best uh, in the Carabao Cup that he can be, but has mostly been shifted to sort of left back, left wing back. And I'm not sure that's ideally his natural position. So it'd be good to see him get some more minutes. And Diaz as well, who's played the last couple of games and looked looked fairly bright. Uh, so n- not a huge loss for Man City. Mahrez is a, is a fantastic player. Um, but I don't think it's a given that he would perform at the very top level for a very top team. And sometimes you get players like that who are so standout for teams outside the top six. And when they get that move up, uh, it's a bit harder to recreate and um, I think Mahrez is, is in that category for me It's an awful lot of a, a massive proportion of the goals though and, and assists that he's, he's contributed to that Leicester team I think it's you know he is a proven Premier League player now it's not like we thought it was just a flash in the pan maybe that, that first season because he went off the boil a little bit the next year but then they all did but he's come back and he he is contributing goals and assists and like class goals and, he, and important goals mm. is kind of his speciality. Yeah. So I wonder for him, if you're a Leicester fan, do you do you resent him because he wants out? Or is it fair enough that he's doing these numbers, but the move just doesn't seem to happen? It's very tough. I mean, the, the success that he's helped to bring the club will go down in as the, the greatest moment in the club's history. And as you say, after, a, after an immediate blip, uh, putting up some really good numbers still. Uh, the off-the-pitch stuff, the the repeated transfer requests, is going to impact that slightly. Mm-hmm. You know, his legacy will be judged a few years after he leaves, I think, because you can never really tell in the in the immediate aftermath of someone leaving uh, when emotions are high, how, how that will stand up to the test of time. Uh, final point is, is, you know, he plays off the right, cutting, into his, cutting onto his left foot. Sane's out injured playing very much left wing. I mean, Mahrez wouldn't have come in and recreated um, what Sane gives. If anything, he would have been expecting to play off the right. And if that's the case, well, you've got Bernardo Silva, who could definitely do with some more minutes, has started some games recently, but, um, you know, previously not in the starting eleven. So uh, it would have been, for me, an uh, unnecessary signing, which might sound like strong words, but I'll uh, I'll stick by him. I think the thing with with Mares <clears throat> as well in terms of that proportion of goals and assists is that Leicester are a team that are unusually reliant on two players. I think I think Vardy and Mares between them account for nigh on seventy percent of everything that Leicester do in terms of goals and assists, which is a much greater proportion than the vast majority of Premier League sides, you know, to to rely on two players. So while it is outstanding in that Leicester side, you know, particularly if you look at how the, the title winning side was set up, it was to feed those guys. And I'm not saying that Mares necessarily looked better as a result of that than, than his kind of baseline ability is. But when a, a side like Guardiola sets up where everyone can attack, stuff's coming in from, from, you know, every single sort of position. Again, you know, is he going to stand out? Is he going to make that kind of impact? I would say probably not because the team isn't geared towards feeding him. Mm. Let's move on to another transfer. A transfer that actually happened. Uh, Lucas Moura and the number 
229. That's the number of games he played for PSG, uh, the most by any Brazilian in the club's history. Only has to play 82 to get that at Spurs. Uh, Lucas Moura's play, I think, three or four years ago, people were saying was going to go, and at this time, PSG weren't a huge club. I know now you probably would say they are because they've got the, the Neymar thing and you look at them as one of the favourites of the Champions League. But four years ago, we were like, yeah, Farmers League, Liga, <laughs> whatever. Uh, Lucas Moura, we kind of thought he was going to go for huge money. This like massively pasty Brazilian scores, assists, just looked look like the the real deal, and it looked like PSG had a great player in their hands. But now it's just gone for twenty five million, which, all things considered, these days, not a lot. Uh, already has handshakes with all the Spurs players, though. I so did notice that. It's worth his weight in handshakes. Yeah. Worth his value anyway. How is he going to be over here? Does, and, and where does he fit into that Pochettino team? Because I think they've they've had maybe a few... The fact that they've played Musa Sissoko quite a lot this season suggests that that right side could use a little bit of Brazilian flavour. Where does he fit in the Pochettino system mm. is the big question. Uh, and it's not immediately obvious to me watching them play so brilliantly against Man United. Um, in terms of width, it is generated almost entirely or consistently by the fullbacks, uh, Trippier especially. Um, and while Ericsson and to a lesser extent Ali have have the license to drift out wide and, and use that license very well, um, that's not where they would expect to be spending the majority of their time. I think that is where Lucas Moura needs to spend the majority of his time. He's not as good in, in tight spaces as those players, technically. He's a player, I think, that thrives on the counter-attack, ideally, uh, and with space to run into. We've seen that at PSG. He's got impressive figures, probably boosted by playing in such a dominant team um, and being able to come off the Snap bench. padding. Yeah, being able to come <laughs> off the bench when teams are a little bit more stretched. It never felt like he was truly part of PSG's plan A, mm. I, I don't think. And I know he had a good season or two, but again, it's it's not immediately clear to me uh, where he's going to fit into the Poch team. Now, is it is it still a good deal? Well, it certainly could be. Um, Twenty five million pounds represents good value for for a player of his pedigree and and age and um, recent history. Not a terrible thing to have a plan B, which we were talking about earlier. It, it's it's how Poch will work him into the side that'll that'll be interesting. Yeah, I think Spurs are absolutely at their best when they're playing those very quick interchanges between whether it's Deli Ali, Eriksson or Song Hyung Min in the half spaces, you know, quick one-two passes and, and finding space that way. And as you say, Mura, much more kind of hugging the touchline, whether that will cause congestion with Trippier on the right trying to overlap, whether Mura can be instructed to cut inside and, and add that way. I mean, I think his Champions League experience will be beneficial. Um, and I think there's always, uh, I suppose, there's not always, but there's there's often a kind of a, a, a good feeling that's generated by somebody with that level of experience coming from a big club into a new one. Um, and Spurs haven't necessarily had an awful lot of purchases like that of late. So it could inject almost more of a kind of morale boosting thing rather than necessarily something... Pochettino is not the kind of manager who's going to go out and spend a lot of money on players unless he knows he can do something with them. Um, so he will know, and maybe it is that plan B. And, and I think this is the thing with good sides, is that, that 
we've seen in the Premier League a lot this kind of very reactive football from from less good sides against the ones that really push forwards. And maybe sides are starting to realise that actually what they need to do is to have something that can counter these kind of low blocks, very compact defensive lines. And somebody who has the pace to get out wide and pull it back is possibly what Spurs envisage with the Murrah signing. And 25 million is really good value in regardless market, right it's excellent value yeah <clears throat> absolutely i mean you talk about it today's market where you know prices are fluctuating a lot and it, it just seems to be going up and up that i think spurs have have looked at a club in psg who actually don't need to recoup vast amounts mm. um and can probably i'm not saying that they're cutting their losses by getting rid of mura but he's probably on a, a significant wage there so by by targeting a player on a big wage at a club that aren't really that fussed about selling, then Spurs probably have got a lower price than they would have done if they'd been buying a similar sort of player from somewhere else. Mm. I think it's mad the the number of appearances he has, given that we're talking about him as you know Plan B, not quite not quite essential to PSG, mm. but he's got. I'm I'm reading a list of uh, list of. Stats and Your numbers trusty here. list. My, my, my spin-off pub, <laughs> my spin-off podcast of overwhelmed by numbers uh, doesn't have <laughs> such luxuries. But yeah, only Tony Cruz and Danny Alves created more chances than Champions League last season, season than Lucas Moura. They got 33, he got 25. Uh, 34 goals, 29 assists in 152 league app games. Uh, 372 take-ons. That's got Jake Entwistle written all over it. Regular, <laughs> regular guest. Uh, lover of the take-on. 372 take-ons since 2012-2013, at least 153 more than any other player for PSG. They're all, like we say, he's been doing his fair share of stat padding, but that's not what you get being a, you know, last five minutes. You're right, he's 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 he's, uh, he's put up impressive numbers in his fairly lengthy PSG career. He, he's barely played this season though, Rob. I think that's mm. a big reason why they'll have been so happy to, to let him, him go. He's, he didn't play in the Champions League, so he is eligible to play against Juventus for Spurs and that's a big thing for them. Um, and uh, I think that, that sort of says it all really. He, he's been a good player for PSG over the years, doesn't fit into their current system. For them, 25 mil for a player that's made six, I think, sub-appearances this season represents a nice, nice bit of income. Yep. And uh, for Spurs... A lot of upside could be a could be an exceptional signing. My only concern is is Poch's recent history with with pure wingers um, mm. is is not hugely successful. I don't think so. Remains to be seen. Okay, let's let's talk about the uh, transfer window as a whole then, and go to the number five hundred and forty five point six million, which I think might be the biggest number we've had in week one numbers, <laughs> unless of course we've talked about Fellaini's buyout clause at some point, but. Uh, so there's 200 deals being done in the Premier League at the moment, when I checked, just before we started recording. Uh, and there have been some pretty big deals, actually, I think, this window. Uh, you lads should have a sheet with all of them on. Let's let's run through some of them. So you've got your Cenk Tosin, which I've probably pronounced wrong, to Everton, Barkley to Chelsea, Coutinho to Barcelona. Obviously, that was a huge one that happened pretty early. Um Coquelin's gone, Walcott's gone, Sanchez has gone from Arsenal, another huge one. Uh, Mictarian to Arsenal. Lennon, Carrillo, of course, for you. Alex is your your resident saint. Yeah, yeah. 
And a Southampton fan as well. Yeah. We have banter. Desperately need a goal scorer. I think he'll suit what we do. I think he'll suit the style we play. Um, I think only Spurs cross more than Southampton or have done in the league this season. I think we're averaging 21 crosses per game. Spurs run 22 and Korea's six foot two, gets on the end of crosses, has, a, I think, only so far this season, only Charlie Austin's got a better goals per 90 for us than Korea have for Monaco. And that's by the slimmest fraction. Um, so... Yeah, hopefully we'll get what we need because we are playing very badly at the mm. moment. Would you say, because I think there's a few clubs that have had a really good window, namely the top six have had quite a good window. <laughs> mm. And then I think the clubs in that sort of splodge in the middle where everyone could get relegated, I don't think there's many good windows that have happened there. And would you say Southampton have had a good one getting Carrillo in or are you still lacking? Massively. No, I, I, I think, I think we've addressed one of the two areas of deficiency. Um, obviously, with the departure of Van Dijk, um, centre back is something of a concern. Although it's great to see Jack Stevens scoring his second goal in two, um, and his only his second goal ever for us. Um, but Stevens and Maya Yoshida as a as a centre back pairing in the Premier League do not inspire an enormous amount of confidence. Um, <laughs> But again, centre-back is clearly one of those positions along with out-and-out strikers that are commanding serious premium dollar at the moment. So, yeah, perhaps it wasn't it wasn't right to, to move in that. And so we've addressed the other serious area of concern. I mean, Southampton are actually, stylistically, we're not playing badly. Um, you know, we're creating a reasonable amount of chances. We have consistently, over about the last four seasons, have one of the worst shot conversion rates um, of any club. And last season, it was certainly the worst. This season, I think it's the worst or the second worst. So the chances are going in largely from crosses and they're just not being put away. So if we can get per a person, I thought it would be Gabbiadini last season, it wasn't. But if we can get a person to stick those in, we will be fine. I say that with real confidence. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think Swansea have probably had a, a reasonable window as well. Um, mm. But yeah, otherwise in the splodge, as you say, there's nothing outstanding. No, Swansea, of course, coming in, taking West Ham's one of our only fit players for 20 million quid or 18 million quid. Well, he's fit at the moment, but he's not had a great <laughs> record of injuries has I, he? while at West Ham. 18 million for me seems like I, a good bit of business for West it, Ham. It's a great bit of business when you reinvest it. But when you put it into Jordan, Jordan Hugel, 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 yeah. Hugel. <laughs> Jordan Hugel. Hugh Gill. Yeah. Good bloke. Yeah. Agil in East London now, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, I think West Ham and Newcastle have had a similar window, which has involved a fair amount of lying from our uh, respective owners. West Ham, when you look at it, we've got Hugh Gill and Jao Mario in. Jao Mario, obviously, alone. Uh, with like a £45 million buyout at the end of it, which won't get activated. And then Hugh, Hugh Gill, a completely unproven uh, championship striker playing mm. in the Premier League now. Mm. He's like the championship's Troy Deeney is what I gather from the three questions I've asked and the minimal research I put into yeah. anything. Yeah, we can go with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then Newcastle, 
yesterday or uh, last couple of days managed to get Kennedy and Slimani over the line. But Benitez has got to be tearing what's left of his hair out. And I think Moyes may be feeling similar. Yeah, I think I think that with Newcastle and, and uh, you know, this isn't groundbreaking news, but M- Mike Ashley continues to um, do the, the bare minimum in terms of, of uh, spending money on players in order to... He's basically trying to do the bare minimum while staying up in order to, to boost either the value of the club for a sale or to get another year of that sweet, sweet TV money. Um, and, and it's such a significant thing that, it, you know, it's, it's a gamble um, to, to put together a squad as he has. You know, they've made these signings in, in January alone, Kennedy alone, I think, Slimani. So if it works for him, then he'll be very, very smug. But it, it's, it's, it, it must be exasperating for, for, in fact, I know it is from Newcastle fans and for Benitez himself. Um, the squad is, is not good enough. The quality going forward is not good enough and they've not addressed those issues. So if they were to go down, I think there would be, perhaps more so than other clubs, a, a fairly obvious reason for that. And that would be a, a lack of investment, not just in January, but in the summer as well after promotion. Um, ever so slightly different possibly for West Ham because money does get spent at West Ham more so than at Newcastle just doesn't always get spent very well and that can be frustrating and the way that the owners approach the transfer market and what they do or don't disclose to the fans is often pretty head scratching as well so um, frustrating for West Ham fans as well perhaps in a slightly different way there's a lot of that scapegoating going on uh, at West Ham we've obviously Billich got run over by the bus about four times and uh Last night, and I'm going to play devil's advocate. That uh, was his name, Tony Henry. I'm not, don't condone what he said, but I find it very interesting that just as the deadline approaches, where we've somehow managed to make a 15 million pound profit on deadline day and not bought any players in, that gets leaked, <laughs> and all of a sudden we have someone to blame that isn't the board mm. again. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, the, what, the, you know the, what, what what you said is wrong, but now they can just sack him, yeah. And that's him to blame, isn't it? Yeah. For the last few seasons, the the leaks, if that's what they are, the the general standard of comms. I've got my Tim Fall hat on. Yeah. Conspiracy theorist over here. Well, you know. <laughs> well, half of them aren't even leaks. Half of them are just the owners taking to Twitter and going, "Yeah, we should never sign that guy. He's rubbish." My kids told me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then having the player respond to say, "Oh, thanks very much for the vote of confidence," while on loan somewhere. Astonishing. You know, you you look at the the professionalism of that setup, and if you're uh, a player, yes, I know how attractive the Premier League is to, to players outside of the Premier League. But even so, you'd think, you know, if maybe there's one or two offers on the table for you other than West Ham, you would give those strong consideration because of the way the club appears to be run. And you'd think, well, do I really want to, you know, get myself into that situation only to have to extricate myself a year later when I've been sent on loan to Norwich? Mm. It's <laughs> it's a very odd one. Mm. Okay, let's not dwell on it too much, because otherwise everyone will think I'm a lunatic conspiracy bloke and I believe in reptilians and things. Um, <laughs> we're probably just rubbish. Uh, <laughs> all right, let's 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 talk about just transfer window, who, including everyone. Who do we think in the Premier League has had the best window? I'll start with you, Alex. Best window, I would say, would be Arsenal. Yeah? 
Yeah, I, I think I think you're guaranteed goals with Aubameyang. You're guaranteed assists with Mkhitaryan if you get him playing well. You've united two players who clearly get on very well, who will bring some of that very, very close-knit kind of Dortmund spirit that was fostered while they were there together. Um, if Wenger can incorporate the two of them uh, and get them playing well, then that's certainly a recipe for success. All right. I think I think you've convinced me. I think I'll go with Arsenal as well. A little bit concerned that they still didn't sign the defensive midfielder they've needed for 19 That's years. That's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. Let's just write that off. <laughs> they might end up being the most entertaining for the neutral yeah. uh, Premier League team of all time at this rate because going forward, they're going to be dynamite and uh, at the back as bad as ever. So, yeah, very <laughs> exciting. It's It's quite hard to pick between um, the top six teams. And I don't think anyone outside of the top six did enough significant business that will significantly alter their fortunes uh, from now until the rest of the season. So focusing on the top six, I think that, you know, without wanting to sound condescending to Arsenal, they have done very well. You know, they, they lost their best player and they've they've managed to, to come out looking pretty good for it. And I think... You know, it's it's not easy to do that, and they have managed to parlay two very good players signing in the January transfer window, and that and that's pretty rare in itself. So and re-signing Ozil, and of course re-signing Ozil, um, a player who will now be at the club into his thirties, which is something that previously Arsene Wenger has been absolutely terrified of. Um, Ozil strikes me anyway as the type of player who will probably not drop off too much in his early 30s. Um, his style and, and, and his qualities, I, I expect to, to remain at a pretty high level for, for the next few years. So that's excellent business as well. So I'll go with Arsenal with a nod to Chelsea just basically for improving their bench options um, for a, a couple of uh, additions in Barkley, Emerson and, and Giroud, um, none of which were sort of eye-watering prices and uh, could potentially... Have a, have a good impact in the second half of the season when we're looking at Champions League and, and FA Cup, which is basically what they've got to play for now. All right, then. That's enough of numbers. Let's move on to embarrassment and humiliation. With the next section, I'm embarrassed to ask. Physically embarrassed. I'm embarrassed to ask. Okay, then. There are some issues with cup-tied players that I'm not sure are fully got to grips with. So there are players going around all over the place. A lot more January signings between big teams than you normally get. So Giroud, he can play for Chelsea, right? Correct. In all the, in all the cups. Mkhitaryan can play for Arsenal in the Europa League, but yes. with a different number. Well, Aubameyang can't, which wasn't he in the Champions League, so he isn't... I don't know. You're going to have to explain this to me later. And Coutinho... Is cup tied for Barcelona, but that is just for the Champions League, surely. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's not the Copa del Rey. He hasn't played in that. Yeah. Someone explain it to me. Who's cup tied for where? <laughs> well, Giroud eligible for Champions League action with Chelsea on account of having played not in the Champions League this year, but in the Europa League. So it's to do with which, A, which competitions you've played in for your previous club. So he can play in the Champions League. Mkhitaryan can play for Arsenal in the Europa League on account of him playing in the Champions League in the first half of the season for Manchester United. Now, you're right to flag up that Aubameyang did indeed play in the Champions League. The second part of the rule is if the club that you've signed from are playing in the same competition 
as the club you're now playing for, you cannot play for your new club. Therefore, Dortmund, who finished third, they are down in the Europa League, joining in the knockout stages. They're in the same competition as Arsenal, and as such, Aubameyang is not allowed to play. Uh, Lucas Moura, just showing off here, uh, Lucas Moura is eligible because he didn't play for PSG in the Champions League and now can play for Spurs in that competition. And Coutinho, of course, ineligible because Liverpool are still in the Champions League with Barcelona, and that's who he played for in the first half of the season. Did he play? Did he play for Liverpool? Did he play a game for Liverpool in the Champions League? Because he must have done. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, definitely. So that makes sense to me. But the Aubameyang one is seems bizarre. It does seem a little counterintuitive that if, but the, uh, the complexities of European competition, where you move from one to the other, if you you know fail to progress from the Champions League group stages. It, and that's that's something that actually some fans of the Europa League don't like anyway. You know, why should these clubs be parachuted in? But if you haven't played in that competition already, it does seem odd that just because your club is now in it and your new club is now in it, you can't, particularly when Arsenal have been in it. Mm. I, I, I don't know. It, <laughs> it just Sometimes you get these arcane rules, don't you? And you think, well, I don't, why is that? there and but you just have to accept it don't you i think the cup side rule is almost like a strange rule in itself because if you can play in the league like the league is essentially a cup it's just a cup that's eight 38 games long isn't it? Mm. Mm. if you can play in that for two different teams why can't you play in a cup for two different teams yeah there's a there's a lot of strange rules in football Rob. There, there's one um obviously i follow the football league quite closely um there's the occasional incident of uh, someone like Marvin Johnson, who was a great player for Oxford United, started the season there for the first few games, moved to Middlesbrough on deadline day, played a couple of games for Middlesbrough and has been frozen out by Tony Pulis because he's played for Oxford for three games in August and then Borough for the first half of the season, the majority of it. Uh, He can now, Pulis wants him out, but he can only go to Oxford because he can't play for a third team in the same season. Um, He didn't want to go back to Oxford or they didn't offer enough. So he stayed at Borough and uh, he'll just be chilling in the reserves for half a season, which seems a bit of a waste. Yeah, I think that three-team thing is what kept Mascarana at West Ham for (laughs) for about four weeks longer than he wanted to be. He managed to get through it in the end. But uh, wasn't there a case, might even have been last week, where a player on loan in the Bundesliga, I think it was, what was his name? Was it Arsenal? went to Bayern Munich, is now on loan somewhere and scored against Bayern Munich the other day. Gnabry. Serge Gnabry. Serge, yeah. Yeah. Is he on loan from Bayern Munich to whoever they were playing the other day and then scored? Ali, I see you doing some some immediate Googling. <laughs> I'll feel I, the I was time. just trying to work out whether he's... They signed him in the summer, didn't they, Bayern? Mm. I think so. But he must... So he must be on loan because... But he spent... He was on loan in Germany from Arsenal. I think it was to Wolfsburg mm. already. Mm. So... Yeah, I, I I don't know. I'm confused <laughs> by that as well. It's mad. Play it. Yeah. If you can do that in other leagues, but then you're cut-tied for a European competition you haven't played in, mm. the game's gone mad, lads. This is it. The ga- Football's, the game, the football has officially gone to the dogs. <laughs> I'm assuming that this cup-tied rule for European stuff only got introduced when... I mean, is it is it since the... UEFA clubs Cup. exiting the Champions League have gone into the Europa? Yeah. Or did it happen when there was the, the European Cup and the Cup Winners' Cup operating at the same time? I, th- those cup competitions were shorter then, but I, it's... It strikes me as the kind of thing that people back in the day didn't worry about. Do you know what I mean? Like how they didn't worry about your head being hit or 
comfortable boots. I was like, cut tie, uh, be a man about it. It's fine. Playing yeah. with a broken neck for the same team or a different team in the same tournament is fine. <laughs> yeah, not sure of the history of it. I think it, it could probably be tweaked a little. Um, Lord knows that footballing authorities do love to to create a rule and then multiple subsidiaries to the rule. So uh, I don't see it changing anytime soon. So you're just going to have to get used to it, Rob. <laughs> oh, that's, that was very threatening. Uh, that was quite <laughs> brusque, wasn't it? This is old-fashioned football from Ali Maxwell. Nice man, normally. Yeah. He's just saying, just accept it, suck it up, move on. This is what I'm talking about. This is, this is old-fashioned football. It's basically what he's done is I've been double-footed by Vic Johnson, the... 400 appearances for Wolves or something and he's told me he's come over he says you're just going to have to get on with it yeah. that and cup ties or being cup tied both of them uh, equal equal sins Vic Johnson doesn't exist by the way I don't I don't have very good knowledge of Wolves players with 400 appearances and above uh, which appropriately leads to the next section who's this fella this one actually exists he's not fictional who's this fella okay Pietro Pellegri, who I'm told is the second most expensive 16-year-old in history after signing for Monaco for £17 million from Genoa. Uh, firstly, who is more expensive than that and how are you getting that price at the age of 16? And secondly, is he any good? Vinicius Junior signed by oh, Real Madrid. Yeah. But he's still in Brazil. I mean, it, that was very recently, I think uh, six months or so ago, um, signed for, I think, almost double, maybe even more than double the £17 million that Monaco has spent for Pellegrini. So, you know, that's that's the way of it now. If there's someone showing some semblance of, of immense potential uh, at that age, then uh, the big clubs circle, the big clubs strike, and uh, and they, they they tend to get their, their man when they... When they do so, focusing on Pellegri, uh, I mean, at least he, unlike Mr. Junior of Brazil, uh, has something to show in Europe, uh, games and goals, not loads, but some yeah. in Italy and Serie A. And how do you end up spending money on a player like this? Well, because you're, you're so excited about him. And I'm very excited about him. <clears throat> Monaco is not a bad. We saw with Mbappe. They'll mm. give you for chance. Well, that whole team really is 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 was kids, wasn't it? Like really talented under twenty fives and things like that. So it certainly seems like a good place to go if you're a player with potential. Filling in the gap for Southampton, sneaking in, yeah. Nick and Carrillo. Yeah, no, I think it's canny business from Monaco because their their model. After initially the um, the Russian guy whose name I won't even try to pronounce came in and threw a huge amount of money at them um, and they did quite well out of it. And then obviously all of that was, was pulled and their business model for the last couple of years has been partly because as a catchment area for youth development, Monaco's a, a rubbish area, um, they found talented late teenagers brought them on and sold them at a fairly significant profit. So in that regard, yes, 17 million is a lot of money for a teenager who I think has got three Serie A goals, mm. all as substitute this season so far. Um, but they will know that if he develops well in a 
in an environment that is absolutely catered for developing young players, they'll be able to sell him for two, three, four times that amount in a couple of years' time, having presumably got reasonable um, returns out of him on the pitch anyway. So it's yes, it might seem like silly money now, but in terms of the way that club operates, it, it's perfectly in line with what they've been doing recently. And he's sort of got the, shall we say, raw materials that you, well, that scouts get very excited about. Six foot five, mm. which is a, is a good start, but not a lump. Uh, not a Jordan Hugill. Are you telling he's, me uh, that he's got good feet for a big lad? <laughs> he's got a good touch. <laughs> he's got uh, he's got good pace. He's shown an eye for goal. He scored two against Lazio um, back in September, and and both very well taken. I mean, he's ob- he's absurdly young, and to have done anything at that age at the professional level is impressive. So he's got all these sort of raw materials, if you will, and um, as Alex has said, Monaco at this stage along with perhaps Dortmund, Lyon, exactly where you want to be as a as a incredibly talented 16-year-old. Mm. And those are the three clubs that absolutely, their whole business model revolves around this, around the acquisition of young talent, and it, it, talent its development, and then its sale. The, I don't know if you saw the FT produce that really nice infographic mm. the other day did, yeah. um, about clubs net transfer spend and points per game won. And and those clubs, particularly Lyon, mm. really stuck out mm. as as generating profit despite having a very good points per game ratio. Now, okay, Lyon, Monaco, they're both playing in the Farmers League, as you <laughs> referred to it earlier. Hey, uh, I, was, I was just relaying what I've been told yeah. by other people who and, might not uh, watch. <laughs> and Dortmund uh, are in a kind of duopoly situation with, with Bayern Munich, who buy half their good young players anyway. But... Nonetheless, if you are making a conscious effort to go out, find those players, and particularly at Dortmund, there's been a lot written about it recently in terms of how they develop those young players, then if you are a 16 or 17-year-old and you get that opportunity, you know it's likely to be a stepping stone, but one that will develop you significantly as a player as well. That's a really exciting thing. Mm. Uh, And those clubs get a good return on their investment. Those players go off after three, four years, less maybe and do very well it's they you know they all win it they've they've shown there is a different way of doing stuff if you put the money and the thought into mm. your youth development essentially if all goes well he will be signed by real madrid for 60 million pounds or man city. Or euros or man yeah. city yeah. before he's 21 yeah just to finish off this section i think it's all uh, about time we all took a little section out of this podcast to cry and or vomit when I tell you that he was born in 2001. Oh, I feel really old. I'm older than you two, I'm sure. So, no, 2001. It's awful when it's a year you can remember, isn't it? Mm. 1982, I was born. Oh, I'm sorry. Not as sorry as I am. <laughs> I'm decaying as we speak. <laughs> but okay, before you completely decay. Let's go on to the stat showdown. Stat showdown. Okay, then here we are, slowly decaying, as is life. All just a bunch of guys on a rock, floating through space, decaying. But one thing is important today, Ali and Alex, and that's the stat showdown, which transcends obviously time, space, and decaying. 
Alex, it's your debut. Mm. It's the best two out of three in a in a impress me in a pub stat show off competition. It's the best way to put it. Makes perfect sense mm. grammatically, without a flaw. Uh, I'll come to you first. Impress me with a stat. So, last season, Alexis Sanchez recorded thirty-two non-penalty goals plus assists. In the whole of the Premier League, only 11 players have managed more than that. And he's the highest since 2013-14, which was Luis Suarez, who was also a January transfer window signing. A January transfer-themed stat. Ali Maxwell, can you blow me away by saying that someone is as good, if not better, than Luis Suarez? Yes, Olivier Giroud, much oh. better than Luis Suarez. Not quite, but has a genuinely impressive goal-scoring record when you scrutinise it in terms of minutes per goal, especially since he became a plan B for Arsenal, which he presumably will be at Chelsea. But I'm not focusing on that this time. Out of the 105 goals that Olivier Giroud scored for Arsenal, 33 of them were match winners. That's 31% of goals he scored were the winning goals in matches. 33 matches won on account of Olivier Giroud. Giroud, you're telling me, is worth 66 points in the Premier League, essentially. If it's two points at a time to take it from a draw probably to a win. probably wouldn't stand up to scrutiny from the mathematicians. But yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. That means Oli Giroud, by himself, is possibly getting a Champions League place. How many of those goals, and this is going to be really mean if you don't know the answer to it. Which, <laughs> which I obviously won't. <laughs> Oh, it, it would be really interesting to know how many of those goals were when he came on as a substitute rather than having played the full 90. Hmm. Tune in next week. Yeah. <laughs> tune, tune next week. Tune in where we Alex Stewart that. sticks the knife into Ali Maxwell's back <laughs> in the middle of the stat showdown. Um, hmm. I'm going to go Ali Maxwell in this one just because I like the fact Giroud is worth 66 points. Whether it's necessarily accurate or not, it doesn't matter. It's the narrative I've made in my head. Mm -hmm. um, Ali, you're one nil up. You could go two nil up, which, you know, listeners of the podcast will realise is very rare. <laughs> a bit of a... Because I love drama. A bit of an Arsenal bashing theme, I suppose. Uh, the last one, indirectly, because those winners were for Arsenal, but he has now left and will be scoring goals in, in the blue of their rivals, Chelsea. Um, these ones are a little bit more direct. Uh, Sam Klukas of Swansea. Um, fairly run-of-the-mill Premier League player, although one with a good backstory, a hard-working player. He's had three shots on target in his Premier League career, which now spans about 18 months. Um, they've all been against Arsenal and they've all gone in. So the only team that has allowed Sam Klukas to shoot at their goal has been Arsenal, and all three times it's gone in. That's quite a good one. I think you're... Uh... You're fighting an uphill battle here, Alex. I'm under significant pressure here, um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna see your Sam Lucas and raise you Raheem Sterling. UEFA designate these under 23 players as young players. Raheem Sterling is the first of these under 23 players in Europe's top five leagues to have been directly involved in 20 goals this season. So he's got. 14 goals, he's got six assists in his 23 appearances. 
And I, for one, am delighted given the amount of stick that he mm. gets totally unfairly. Mm. Um, I think we forget how much he carried or, or contributed to Liverpool uh, when he was there in that season when they scored something like, like 101 goals. Yeah. Aged 18. Right, yeah. exactly. And and he's really found his bounce uh, at City this season. He's doing superbly well. I'm very pleased for him. See the way you look at that stat with Glee Halliwax well? You might have just given away your point. Because you told me Sam Klukas isn't very good and Arsenal are a bit, a bit defensively dodgy. Whereas, Alex, you told me that Raheem Sterling has proven that doubt is wrong and is actually, arguably, the best young player in Europe. I love if you Sterling. go with stats. Mm-hmm. So, shock horror. <laughs> <laughs> the scores are one all. I, for one, am staggered. <laughs> right, well, both times I've been on previously, it's been one all, and I've ended up losing. So, no pressure, Rob. <laughs> well, you wouldn't want to break tradition. Alex, go, go on. Tell me whatever and you'll probably win. Whatever. Okay, no. I'm, I'm, no. Um, back to deadline day. Back to Arsenal. Meza Ozil. Everyone loves Meza Ozil, right? And, you know, creative magician, etc. So he made his league debut in August 2006. Since then, he's created over a thousand goal scoring chances, which is more than any other player in Europe's top five leagues. Further to that, since he moved to Arsenal in 2013 in the Premier League, he has more assists, 49, than any other player. And he's created more goal-scoring chances than any other player as well. Ozil is king. It's pretty good. Those are high numbers. They're big numbers. Huge yeah. numbers. Great in mass. <laughs> you're, just, you're just leaning back and nodding. You, no, look, just, you, look, you look confident. I was just uh, enjoying how many different words you could find for good numbers. Great big, in mass, great. I've not heard before. <laughs> High volume of <laughs> Sometimes units. I like just sitting here and watching you keep keep talking, Rob. Um, but I'm going to now. It's my final stat and it's uh, bashing Arsenal again. Um, imagine, if you will, that you support a, a top six club. You have very high expectations. Um, imagine. That, that's neither of yeah, us. Yeah, imagine that. <laughs> exactly. Um, you've, you're playing an away league game and you go ahead. 1-0. I can't imagine that either. <laughs> that result for these clubs tends to be uh, more or less in the bag at that point. Uh, But since August 2015, looking at the top six clubs, when they go ahead in away league games, in terms of losses, Chelsea, Man City, Man United and Spurs, once in the last two and a half years, have then gone on to suffer defeat. Liverpool, twice, not ideal when you're a goal ahead to to end up losing twice. Six times for Arsenal. (laughs) <laughs> They've gone ahead in an away league game as they did against Swansea and ended up losing six times. Mm. And Sam Klukas is responsible. <laughs> and Sam Klukas is responsible. Heavily responsible. Yeah. Uh, that, is, that is quite fun. I, I prefer his. Yeah, time. Alex, I've got to say, I, I do rate. Well, where was Ozil in those games? That's I, do, what I, want I, to do, know. I do rate fun sometimes over. Mass over quality of <laughs> over, and, over numbers that are great in mass. Uh, Ali, you win on account of funness. It's a genuinely, also just known as fun. A genuinely big moment in my career and life. So thank yeah. you, Rob. Uh, as a reward, and this is a really great award. Uh, you get to say where we can find you on the internet first. Nice. Um, I am at the Makalele Roll on Twitter, and uh, I do a podcast about the football league called Not the Top Twenty Podcast. 
And as runner-up, Alex, you get to go second in telling people where they can find you on the internet. Uh, so I'm on Twitter at AFH Stuart with an EW. And I'm part of the production team at TIFO Football. We make tactical and historical explanatory videos about football, which is a lot more fun than it sounds. <laughs> and as, a, as just an observer to the competition, I go third. You can find me at Rob Armstrong underscore WH. And of course, you can find Defending on Numbers on Deezer, where you can also find lots of podcasts, Premier League commentary and football playlists. Download the app, visit www.deezer.com and you'll see us there next week on Defending in Numbers. Defending in Numbers is a Deezer Originals production. You can find and download more episodes on Deezer and all major podcast providers. 